The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 92. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called Broken Pieces. This is, is it the penultimate? I mean, it's, it's not... the It's the anti-penult. <laughs> okay, that's, yeah, because this is the last episode before the two-part season finale. Correct, that's, yeah. That's the way we're doing it. And uh, joining me today, as you have heard, are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Joel Andrew And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Uh, folks, if you uh, enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with your friends. Help us grow this community of listeners. People have a lot of more free time on their hands right now as we're uh, releasing this episode. So maybe they'd like to take their mind off their troubles and uh, listen to some fun uh, discussion of Star Trek. Uh, as, as this season of Picard comes to an end, we're, we're going to, we have a lot of great stuff on tap immediately following. We, we've got some great discussions of some of classic Trek, some of the great movies. So please, uh, recommend to others keep listening we're love to have you with us all right so let's uh start as we do at the beginning of this episode uh we have another flashback and this this is standard now for the series we're told it's the world is called aya and it's the grief world and the events we see in this first scene take place 14 years previously thus right before around the time of the synth attack on Mars, which we'll we find out is right before the synth attack on Mars. Yep. Uh, we have fourteen Romulan women uh, standing in a circle in some kind of ritual about an ancient around civilization. A, around the dinner table of madness. <laughs> the dinner table. Exactly. That is a great. Um, I, I wish I could come up with that for the title of the show. Uh, so uh, sure, it's a ritual about an ancient civilization that used to be on this planet and left this warning. The the, the admonition, I think they called it. And yeah, uh, I don't I don't know that the ancient civilization was actually on this planet. Um, as we find out during the course of the episode, yeah. this is a v- planet in a very unusual situation. They the ancient race drug eight stars together to form a, an octet and then put this planet in the middle of it all. So this is a highly artificial situation designed to call attention to this planet. It's like, go here and visit <laughs> the dinner table of madness. It's right. like a giant Disneyland sign or something. And so what we're watching is a Jat Vasht initiation ceremony, apparently to get into the Jat Vasht or at least their inner circle. You have to let yourself be exposed to this telepathic thing from the dinner table that will drive apparently um, 13 and a half of the 14 people it's exposed to mad. So like one, one and a half don't claw their faces off or bash their heads in with rocks or kill themselves. 
Yeah. So this is this is um, yeah. This this is like a kind of inefficient recruiting technique, (laughs) right? So what we have is um, they're working to prevent the second coming of the destroyers. Um, Mm -hmm. And this group includes uh, Commodore O is the one initiating them all into this. Uh, But in the circle, including our Drusilla, Narek's sister, and the Romulan scientist, uh, her name escapes me for the moment. I probably have Ramda. Ramda, who had been assimilated uh, by the the Borg. And they all see this apocalyptic vision that it's which is the same one that uh, Agnes Gerardi is shown by uh, Commodore O. Uh, apparently it doesn't drive her insane. It just makes her homicidal. I, I think that I think that Agnes was shown an edited version of it, and she got it through a mind meld rather than from the dinner table itself. I think these yeah. people are having it much more with much more force and detail. Okay. Uh, so as you said, some of them kill themselves outright uh, with a phaser to the head or bashing their face in on rocks. It was that was disturbing. Yeah, Just, we, yeah, the way they the way that happened on camera is we saw it as a POV shot where you see this rock coming up to the camera and bashing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, meanwhile, Drusilla looks mildly disturbed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. she, like uh, what's wrong with you, uh, lady? Um, so uh, Drusilla is Narissa, and it turns out that yep. Ramda, the 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 Romulan scientist is Narissa and Narek's aunt who raised them when they were orphaned. So we have this connection between them here. Um, and Ramda apparently broke the Borg cube, the one that the Romulans have control of, mm-hmm. with the force of her despair when she was assimilated. And that's yeah. how they captured So apparently the Borg are sort of ancillary to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which is surprising. Which... Because there's partially synthetic life forms, I guess. Yeah, but they weren't the like we. I think we all kind of assumed that the Borg were at the core. Like the the fact that the Borg are partially synthetic that was at the core of Zat Vash's uh, uh, plans for the cube and what was going. On. But it, it turns out it's that like the, the Ramda wasn't intentionally sent to the cube. No, to it, be it assimilated. turns out that the Borg, as as, uh, as Narissa says, they they picked the wrong. Tal Shiar ship to try to assimilate. Yeah. So I, I thought that was an interesting twist in this story uh, to kind of shunt the Borg cube off in, from it, from being primary importance to sort of secondary importance. Um, meanwhile- I, I don't know that it I don't know that it clashes with my expectations. Um, oh, okay. I've always thought that the Jadvash were primarily zeroed in on data like life forms as the real threat and thus right. the Borg would always be kind of secondary to the plot. Oh, okay. I, I guess I had thought that the Borg cube was more central, but but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that's. Um, we had talked last time about where we, we sort of like we weren't sure where did Elnor find this uh, Fenris Rangers pager that he that he f- had. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns mm-hmm. out it was in Hugh's office. That's where he found it. Okay. And yeah. and and thus, when Seven of Nine shows up to save the day, it's like, where's Hugh? Because it was Hugh's business card pager that called her. Right, right. Uh, the the delivery to you know person to person. Uh, so that so that, as we saw, the Talshiar have tracked down Elnor into this uh, office, and he's trying to fight them off, but they've overpowered him until Seven comes along to save him, um, and he kills the the rest of the 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 Talshiar. And then he rushes to uh, to Seven and, and hugs her like a and, child. And we, we, and we have the hug of absolute candor. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's I thought like, that was. I'm being absolutely candid. 
hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I thought that was a, like a, they did something interesting with the character where it's like he is this this weapon, like this this co-op malat weapon. But yet he's still kind of a child as well. He's a yeah, scared yeah, emo- child. Emotionally, he he reacts like a child would when they find their parents after a you know some kind of trauma or something that scares them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have. Uh, he, he also because he's got absolute candor, he doesn't feel the need to be macho after the fight. He can right. show how he's really feeling. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Uh, so back on La Serena, Picard and Soji beam aboard from uh, the Nepenthe. And Rios reacts very strangely to seeing Soji. He like he, he kind of freaks out a, a bit. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile, Picard contacts Starfleet, says, "Hey, we're going to Deep Space Twelve. That's the closest uh, star uh, starbase." And uh, Clancy, uh, Admiral Clancy, says, "Okay, we'll meet you there with a the squadron uh, to go to this other planet." Um, after we're, we're, after we're, telling we're, him to we're, shut up, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we're we're proceeding at slipstream warp speed here, Dom. There are a few things to note along the way in some of these events. So, right. like um, when uh, Soji beams up, Rios is very stunned, and mm-hmm. he tells Picard, "I'll take you to Starbase Twelve." Picard asks him, "What's the nearest Starbase?" And he says, "Twelve, a uh, Deep Space 12. And he says, "I'll take you there," and then I quit. Right. So Rios quits. Um, mm-hmm. Also, when in this scene with uh, Admiral Clancy, they're in Picard's hollow study and she's sitting there in hologram form talking to him. So we know we're close enough to Starfleet for live chat to work in real time. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have this confrontation where he is just so sure that she is going to resist sending starships. That um, that she eventually has to just shut him down and she uses she uses a word that on that on uh, Battlestar Galactica would be the word frack. Right. But Mm -hmm. she's like, shut the frack up. I'm sending the ships already. Stop being so arrogant. And it's a really great moment for Clancy because she's written to be an unsympathetic character, but she's also written to be partially sympathetic. And this is an instance where. She is uh, showing that, yes, I am a reasonable person. I will send you the ships. Right. He he tells her he sort of does. A, I told you so to start the conversation that you know the windmills mm-hmm. turned out to be giants, which is a Don Quixote reference, yep. uh, which mm-hmm. is that there really is uh, a, a problem here. And so, yeah, she's sending the ships. Rafi is, meanwhile, suspicious of Soji, uh, of course, and um, the, and also tells Picard that. Agnes is a Romulan spy. Of course, Picard rejects that. He doesn't believe her at first. Um, and so... Rafi actually pulls a gun. Right. Yes, and Picard stands between her and Agnes and says, Soji. if you're going to shoot Soji. her, you have to shoot me first. Soji. Sorry, Soji. She, yeah. Yeah, because she... So Rafi pulls a gun on Soji and and Picard stands between the two of them and is... um. And Rafi rightly points out that you've you don't have a good record bringing bringing pretty young women on this ship. The last one turned out to be a homicidal killer. It, what about this one? Right. We already have one adorable little homicidal double agent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She calls him a fool. Uh, th- then Rafi uh, Picard, you know, says, hey, you know, she's on board and that's that um, Rafi. 
had seen the images that the XB Romulans were drawing when she was doing when she was going through the Cube's computer system to try to break the tractor lock. She had come up with these images that they were drawing and she asked because you always put the I mean, it's like hanging things on your fridge. You always put your mental patient artwork right next to your tractor beam navigation. <laughs> it's like pinning something on the fridge. It right. seems irrelevant, but it's a touching tradition. Right. Yes. Uh, it's a Romulan. Well, it's thing. always the most innocent thing that people use to get into a, a server. You know, you want to get someone's password? Eh, you just kind of go through a picture that they've drawn. <laughs> right. No big deal. <laughs> so uh, she asked the emergency navigational hologram, which the, all the holograms get a lot of work in this episode. And uh, Kudos to the actor for, for how well he did yeah. playing yeah. all these different uh, characters. And, and we meet a new one this time, uh, which uh, the engineer. Yeah, I, I want to save well, that for a second because I want to I want to talk about him specifically. But uh, um, but the ENH, the navigation hologram, says you know she asked me Enoch Enoch yes, and uh, she asked him about these drawings, and he says, oh, it's an octonary star system, eight stars, uh, where with uh, one um, planet with which have incredibly complex orbital mechanics in order for them to be balanced. And this is where Aya is, the planet we saw in the beginning. So, uh, clue. And this is the Conclave of Eight. So the Conclave of Eight turns out to be, uh, Rafi uh, understands, is not about a group of eight people. It's about a grouping of eight stars. Well, Uh, it's interesting, too. They mentioned that ancient Romulan star charts showed this grouping of eight, which means we're going to come back to that. That's how they're going to find it eventually. But that modern star charts don't. Right. It was sort of legend. It's a legend about it. Uh, Also, Enoch remembers that uh, Soji's name from when Captain Rios met her before is Jana. Right. And that clashes with, wait, her name is Soji Ashad. Uh, So Enoch doesn't know what to think about that. Right. But despite that, he's so pleasant. And he's he is the most pleasant of the personalities. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This this is the navigator with the Irish accent, right? And uh, Rafi like leans over and kisses him on the forehead and says, "You're my favorite hologram." And it's like, <laughs> me too. Enoch is my favorite of all of these yeah. holograms. <laughs> you know, it's one thing I like that you see a lot of this this episode is when the when the uh, holograms are thinking, in other words, accessing the computer, their eyes will flash blue. For just a, mm-hmm. like the irises will flash blue for just a second. Right. So we'll be talking all of a sudden. They'll kind of look off to space. They'll flash and they'll look back at you. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's equi- showing that they're processing. Right. It's the equivalent of the Apple spinning beach ball. It's like he's frozen up for just a second. <laughs> yeah, we first yeah. saw that on the archives when Picard went to the the archives earlier uh, this season. Uh, back on the board cube, uh, Seven and Elnor are in the queen cell, and and Seven takes control of the board cube. And starts regeneration of it. Starts, you know, activates the regeneration. Which and is, we see these this these cool like triangular Borg metal lice working yeah. on the outside of the uh, outside of the cube. And uh, Narissa does, uh, says that she's going to kill all the drones in stasis and the XB XBs as well. Um, and they they plan to eject the 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 drones that have not yet been extracted. They're going to just eject them into space. And uh, and then go around killing the the XBs. That's as to to kind of cleanse which we, the cube. which we see her do to the point where she just she wrecks a gun. Right, she burns out one of her phasers uh, later on. It's nice to see weapons malfunction, you yeah. know. Yeah. And we don't normally see that, but gun jams are a thing. They happen. 
Right, right. He that guy, that Romulan was not maintaining his weapon properly. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, you need uh, to be oiled <laughs> with, with phaser oil. Uh, mm-hmm. So on La Serena, uh, Soji and Picard talk about what it's like for Soji to realize that everything about her is a result of being programmed. You know, she's still dealing with this idea of not being real, and he's trying to tell her, no, like I I know Data. Data was my friend, and he was real, and you're real. Mm-hmm. And then we have the big expository, tell me about data. And so we have this ostensibly heartwarming thing about data and exploring Picard's feelings about data and data's feelings about Picard. And Soji tells Picard the data loved him and things like that. And all this is okay, but personally, I just... Data, data, data. I mean, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Don't, don't skip over that last uh-huh. line about data loving him, though. Yeah, no, I'm sure. That's the, I think that's the first time that she was able to access data's memories within her. Right. Yes, I agree. And it seems it seems like such a throwaway thing, but I think that's actually the first point where she realizes data's memory are in her, and mm-hmm. this is that, like this is her telling her, "No, I remember that data." Yeah, she seems. Yeah, I, that was I'm, very I'm significant. Not, I'm not sure if she fully knows that it's a memory she's accessing, but she may think she's deducing it from what Picard has said. But I think you're right. It is her accessing, it, accessing data's memories in some Cause way. Because I, I agree with you that that, that scene was kind of cute and everything. And it was it was interesting. But I think at, at that moment, it's just like, OK, she's actually tapping into these memories that are theorized to be there by yeah. Maddox. And just before that. Picard says about Data, like his Data's capacity for expressing and processing emotion was limited. I suppose we had that in common. And so, like Picard is revealing yep. something about himself of this. We've always known that he's reserved. He's he has a hard mm-hmm. time expressing a, a, a deep emotion. Well, we see that with children. We see that with his right. reaction towards children throughout much of TNG. And his brother and Robert and with even Beverly Crusher. And everybody. Yeah, yeah, and everybody, really. Yeah, he's very reserved. Um so, uh, you know, it's it's a touching moment, you know, we, and Picard is visibly moved here. Uh, so it, interesting here. And it sort of harkens back to when uh, uh, Riker and Troy's daughter was telling Soji, you know, you can have Picard and Picard could have you like you. You're both people who need someone else in their life. And th- I think this is Soji sort of reacting Exploring to that. that. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, she's still very distrustful of, of Picard and everything else. So it, it's with good reason. I mean, right now her, her life was literally turned up on its head. I mean, yes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Rafi's running around looking for Rios and encountering all the different holograms. And of course, as Jimmy mentioned, the emergency engineering hologram has to be Scottish. Yep, Ian. <laughs> Ian. Uh, and uh, he calls her Lassie and she says, don't call me Lassie. <laughs> and uh through him and the others, Rafi determines that an octanary star system would have had to have been built by someone wanting to leave an unmissable warning, which apparently we've all missed uh, up till now. Except the Romulans. Yeah, well, obviously it's within Romulan territory, and that's why no one knows about it. You know, it was interesting that they talk about how there were seven star star systems that were natural. Yeah. But eight, for whatever reason, couldn't happen. Right. And this is this is um uh this is something that it 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 kind of bugs me a little bit. So when they show us the conclave of eight stars, 
they're not in a pattern that's obvious. If you, I mean, because there is a gravitationally stable pattern where you can have heavier and lighter bodies orbiting in a regular pattern around a barycenter. It's called a Klemper rosette. And any, you can have three or more uh, masses that are all orbiting this common center. Uh, if, if, for example, if you've read Larry Niven's Fleet of Worlds, the Fleet of Worlds is like, uh, depending on when you're reading it, either five, three, or six planets that have been drug into this formation. And it does need to be artificial because you would never have this occurring by itself in nature. Um, but it wouldn't, it, it, it would look like a big ring, just a ring of eight stars. And then you could put a planet at the Berry Center in the middle. Um, and you wouldn't need this weird configuration that we see. And a ring would attract much with well, a planet at the center would attract much more attention than what we actually see. Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and then there's the raises the question, which we could address now or later, but the question of who had the who in Star Trek had the ability to do this it because we're I think we find out that it's the the people that were destroyed, the civilizations was destroyed, put mm -hmm. this did this, so they weren't they couldn't have been completely destroyed but but that was the subject to this right. cleansing um we could probably yeah, I mean, like the last survivors that. of the civilization kind of their last effort before they right. completely I've, collapsed. I've seen fan speculation that, that it was the Iconians because yes. they established that this all happened two to three hundred thousand years ago. And that's the approximate period when the Iconian civilization was a big one. Right. And they, they had technology that would let you like project from one planet to another and, you know, tramp basically beam across interstellar distances and other, you know, really cool stuff you could get at yes. Best Buy. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it's yeah, and it's the right right part of space too because I, I remember that Conian episodes were close to Romulan space. Right, right, that's true. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that if that's what it turns out to this civilization would have been. Uh, it, it'll be curious to see that. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, the Mister Hospitality, he's the hospitality program with the American accent. Um, tells Rafi uh, as she goes to her quarters and wants to get something to drink. And it turns out she's uh, turned off her ability to get any alcohol out of the system, including and not, not her, just as she locked out the ability to get alcohol. She locked out the override and the meta override. <laughs> right. Yeah. Apparently and there's then, no meta meta override either. Yeah. And then forgot about it. So apparently she was blitzed when she gave this order. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that's because otherwise you wouldn't forget if you were sober when you gave the order, you'd remember it. Um, but one of the things I love now, Mr. Hospitality is telling her about how, yes, when when he bought the ship, he used the self scan option for all of us holograms. And he claims he did it by accident, but he's never bothered to undo it. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we're all standard installs based on him, except he's made some deletions. And apparently one of the things that he deleted for Mr. Hospitality is any sense of personal space. Because <laughs> exactly. Mr. Hospitality, more than once in this scene, despite being a hospitality program, is like, totally invading Rafi's <laughs> personal space and she's bending over backwards to avoid it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, one of the things he tells her is that uh, Rios needs a confidant that 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 who he can't dismiss with a command uh, to dismiss her hologram. Uh, so uh, meanwhile, we, we 
we're, we see Rios. He's now in his quarters. Uh, he has not turned off the uh, alcohol dispensing functions of his replicator because he's getting blitzed. Nope. Uh, and he has all kinds of paper books on philosophy, including, I noticed, uh, one titled Surak and Existentialism, which looks like yep. light reading. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, it's looking at the list of uh, philosophers he has listed there, and it's yeah. um, Spanos and Kierkegaard and Camus. And I'm like, boy, dude, you need to find better philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, and find ones that aren't so depressing. Yeah. 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 Uh, He's also listening to sad music on a, on a record player. So even in the 24th century, they have rediscovered the superior sound of vinyl. Yes. Although yeah. Rafi and, calls it a Walkman. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I know. I was going to. Oh, yeah, sorry. When, when, yeah. when Rafi comes in, she says, oh, is that Captain so-and-so's? Walkman, and it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is a nice, nice yeah. thing. Uh, roughly same century, did wrong device, but same century for yep. the equivalent function. Um, it's Billy Holiday, by the stuff. way. What he's listening to Billy Holiday for for, the, yep. for right. those who might be wondering. Yeah, and he is also keeping stuff in a cigar box. Yep, and this is this is a nice thing because this was commonly done back in the mm -hmm. day. Um, you know, people would smoke cigars and then they'd have these nice boxes they came in and they would use them to store stuff. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I remember having stuff in a cigar box as a kid and it was a very common thing. They were very handy to store stuff in. And so he's doing that and he's got these mementos from uh, his time in Starfleet in there when he served as the first officer on the Ibn Majid under mm -hmm. Captain Alonzo Vandermeer. Mm -hmm. um, he's got like his old com badge. He's got his rank pips, which are uh, yep. which are magnets stuck to yep. a metal, a piece of metal. Um, and he's got a big collection of rank pips, I guess, in case you lose one one day, you need some backups. <laughs> Um, yep. he's got like a crystal and, you know, who knows what the significance of that is, but he's just got a lot of these personal knickknacks from that time. Well, it's interesting too, you know, and I was thinking about this, that's one thing that's kind of been throughout this is how much these physical possessions matter. I mean, everything can be replicated. They could replicate everything that's in that box, mm -hmm. but the physical possessions still matter. We saw that with Soji where she went through all of her journals and pictures and all that. And that was all, uh, Faked, but it was still physical possessions that she had, physical pictures. You right. know, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, with pictures, how many of us actually print out, go to the store and get real print pictures anymore? Yeah, right. that's so 20th century. You know, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's so funny, though. I mean, it, it's it's interesting kind of this connection they're making, though, to the, the, that those, phys those physical things still matter, even though that they can be. She can have 500 well, copies of a picture made in about two seconds. In a world where everything can be replicated at, on command, anything can be yeah. replicated on command, The uh, getting something that's original, authentic, and holding on to it probably means even more than, right. than it does for us now. Like that uniform, like the, the pips, you know, like those are probably like yeah. the pips that were put on his collar when he increased in rank. Right. You know, it's like, here's my ensign pip, here's my lieutenant pip, here's your pips, you know, things like that. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, idea. Well, one of the things in this locker, the, his uh, old Starfleet locker with, in the cigar box, is a drawing of himself and this Jana, who looks exactly like Soji because she's exactly like Soji. And uh, so, that, so we, we we get this clue that there's something that 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 Rios encountered one of these uh, Data daughter androids at some point. And and, and it, the implication is he was he was romantic with her. But 
I mean, otherwise, why do you have a hand-drawn sketch of you and somebody else and just right. you two? Well, and there's the implication. He's also really, yeah. em, he's really emotional over all this, and he's, he's, he, he gets between the sheets easily is the impression we get. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's already been doing yeah. stuff with Agnes. And so I, I mean, the immediate vibe I got is there's a romantic history here, right. but then they do stuff that would like, how did he have time to fall in love with somebody? Right. It turns um, out he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird that, that they set that up that way. Um, but I think it's because of the other emotional impact of it. We'll, it, and we'll get into yeah. that. But, uh, but, uh, in the meantime, Rafi brings all five emergency holograms together in the uh, the, holo- the holodeck version of Picard's study uh, to find yeah, out what they all know. Like planning planning an intervention with Rios. <laughs> she, yeah, well, she notices that each hologram has a little bit different story of Rios's life. Parts have been deleted, but other parts haven't. So right. she figured this was a way that she could kind of get the whole story out, and we get quite a bit of it actually. Yeah, we find yeah, out and. Yeah, and she she obviously Rios forgets the power of networking because if you you don't have to have just one of your holograms forget a fact, you could say core database delete and all of them will forget that fact. But apparently yep. he didn't do that. He probably was a little too much of the uh, alcohol when he did the deletions. Yeah. Why? Right. Why the hospitality coordinator can't boil tea? <laughs> uh- I did skip over quickly uh, to go back for a second. Well, uh, back on the the old Borg cube, Seven and Elnor are you know right. consulting the Borg systems, and um, Elnor suggests waking up all the drones to help them uh, take back the cube from the Romulans. And Seven knows not only are they useless without the Borg collective, she could set mm-hmm. up a, a localized collective, but she knows that waking them up and sending them against the the Romulan tubes wouldn't be just killing them; it would be assimilating them. And and, right. and and we have this nice moral discussion of is it right? And he's like, well, you could release you could release them when we're done. And it's like, a that doesn't make it right to do it even temporarily. Mm-hmm. And b, I might not want to release them. Right. And right. so this is this is really setting up for some drama. Seven is going to be facing her biggest fear, which is assimilation. Right. Because she's going to need to set up a a LAN. She's not going to hook up to the to the Borg Internet, but she is going to need to set up a LAN to run this cube. Well, and it's it shows how when they're in the collective, how attractive and seductive the collective really is. Like a drug. Yeah. Both Picard and uh, Seven have expressed that in the past, that how it's like a a destructive drug for the, you know, for your your mind to, to be brought into the collective. Um, which is a lot like Odo in the Founders, if you think about it. How yep, he talked about thing. being in the Great Link. Uh, very interesting parallels there. So uh, Agnes, meanwhile, in the uh, sick bay, regains consciousness in the presence of Picard. Uh, he now is, I think, convinced that she has done what she's done. He asks her why she did it. She tells him about Commodore O, and she said that she's had a psychic block preventing her from talking about it. Um, right. And and he starts to assure her it's okay. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I love that very forceful psychic block. That's, yeah. that's one thing I like is they really showed that block kind of getting broken down, where she kind of reacts against it and fights against it, and eventually she's able to be open about it. But it, yeah. it, it they played yeah. that well. They played it really well. And she reveals that the vision that that oh you know forced on her makes her want to kill herself every single day. She's fighting yeah. against this. Calls it poison. She dumped poison into her brain. Yeah. 
and and now thoughts of suicide are com- how she comforts herself, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Which is really, ugh. Um, but it t- so you know she she learned from the uh, from the Vulcan mind lie that she got that um, that two three hundred thousand years ago there was this civilization that built artificial life and it went really ungoodly. And there was a robot holocaust and they set up the Conclave of Eight to warn people with the dinner table of madness to warn people that they should also not make synthetic life. Right. And that's what's driving the uh, the Jat Vash to be so fanatical about this, because in order to get into the Jat Vash, you have to go to the dinner table of madness and get your own forceful mind dump of all this information. And that's why there's fanatics against the um, against artificial life, because they've been submitting themselves to mental manipulation from this species that had a really bad experience with artificial life. Well, and there's there's a threshold. There's a point where you can stop it up to this point. But once you hit that point, you go past yeah. that point. It's done for. And, and they're saying that so, like right now with the soon type androids coming back with Soji and company. They're at that threshold right now. The Soji Asha Dodge, uh, the Soji Dodge Gianna variants, which are indistinguishable from uh, natural life. uh, That's the beyond the threshold, apparently. Now, I I, I want to ask a question mm -hmm. there, because it it seems to me what they said, and you can tell me if if I'm off base here. What they said was, is not that those synths destroy you. It's that. Someone else is watching. This other species is out there watching. And when a civilization crosses that point, they come and destroy that civilization. They play it both ways. I think at this point, they want it to be ambiguous, Uh, but they lay down clues that point in two different directions. One of them is that the artificial life itself goes crazy and and comes brings about the coming of Seb Sheneb, the destroyer, mm. which is identified as Soji. So that would suggest right. mm-hmm. it's the androids themselves that go crazy. But then they also compare it to like developing warp drive. When Zephyr and Cochran developed warp drive, it got the attention of the Vulcans. And and so they also talk about if you if the life gets up to a certain point and crosses this threshold, then someone really bad shows up. And 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 so is that someone really bad at one of the androids? Is it another yeah. species? You, you I could, think you they want it to be deliberate. It. You could yeah. very easily read it as, you know, a Terminator type thing where the androids develop to the point of, well, we don't need humans anymore, so let's wipe them out. Or you could like like you said, Jimmy, it, like they could be there's somebody who's some bigger, badder enemy out there somewhere, whether or not they still exist to 200, 300,000 years later, who's sitting there watching and oh, they've reached that point. No, we got to we got to kill them all. Someone powerful yeah. enough to destroy an Iconian like empire. Yeah. yeah, which is frankly the more interesting option, because we've mm-hmm. seen in sci fi, you know, r- robots go crazy and kill humans before. Right. Yeah, I like that the, that latter one. In in the background, Arnold was going, "I'll be back." <laughs> <laughs> so, Rafi. Otherwise, otherwise, this is just Battlestar Galactica again. Yes, yes, yep. and we don't need that. We 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 already have Seven, who is a lot like um, what's what's the Battlestar Galactica? The blonde uh, six. Uh, yeah, seven yes. is like six. <laughs> seven of six. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Rafi goes to 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 Rios. She finds him in his quarters and and goes in. And Rios tells her his the story about Captain Vandermeer, how he used to think of him as a father figure, and 
was surprised when he turned out to be a cold-blooded murderer, which is, you know... Yeah, of- Rios has a bad habit of getting emotionally close to cold-blooded murderers. I mean, Captain <laughs> yeah. Vandermeer, Agnes, you know, Girardi, he just... Yeah. He's a sucker for a for a cold blooded face in a in in sheep's clothing, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he said he tells her the story. This is the first contact where they met Jana and uh and uh, they representatives from flowers a, something like yeah the representatives from a new uh, species and the ambassador is called Beautiful Flower and mm-hmm. the young aide Jana who was uh, Soji's sister. Um, so they come in pairs. So this, there's got to be an, a fourth one out there at least, right? You know, the, the two, two more, two more. Well, no, I, I think we're going to see a lot more need... than just two. I think we're going to see a lot more than just two next week. They well, make it sound like it. There's yeah. multiples. So beautiful flower but, wasn't necessarily a, an android. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, you, right. you saw that the drawing that he did, and it was it was almost photo perfect. I think that's, well, that was on purpose no, to make it Jana, look like. Yeah. Jana did the drawing. No, no, no. It was, they said the other drew Gianna and oh. Rios. Okay. So it was, it, was that, it was that beautiful flower that drew. Okay. Interesting. Maybe it has something to do with the orchids that, uh, that Soji was seeing in her dream in her father's workshop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the be- giant space orchids that are coming up off the planet in the preview for next week. Well, there's that. Yep. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. So he so he tells them that they encountered these people. They came aboard the ship. They sat down to a meal, and then Vandermeer killed them both uh, because he got in a black flag directive from Starfleet that if it was disobeyed, the ship would have been destroyed with all hands. And so Vandermeer had no choice but to murder these people in cold blood. And that's when he killed himself because he couldn't bear the guilt of what he'd done. And Rios had to cover it up, letting everyone think Vandermeer killed himself for nothing. Uh, you know, right. killed the others and killed himself for nothing because this it was super. Well, not even killing classified. the others; they completely wiped the fact the others existed. Right, right. Just killed himself for no reason. Yeah, and that led not immediately, but within a short period of time, to Rios leaving Starfleet disillusioned. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Agnes in, is talking to Soji in the sick bay, and uh, she they're quizzes- having a weird bonding scene, right? Where. You know, because even though she's got the mind poison that says this person is evil and they all need to die, she's also meeting the successful fruit of her entire career, which is thrilling for her. And And she's like scientific geekery is winning out over the mind poison. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so what when do you what? Tell me about when you drink. Oh, I drink when I'm thirsty. You drink when you're thirsty. That is so beautiful. (laughs) And you're you're not. Perfect. You've got these little, you know, beauty marks on your cheek, and Data didn't have those beauty marks. And right, she marvels at how perfect she is, and she's a. She says she's a work of art and a technological masterpiece. But Soji asks the important question: Am I a person? Uh, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And Agnes says, now that she, she's met Soji in person, she'd never do what O had told her to do before. Like now that I've seen mm-hmm. you and who who you are. Um, Soji then says, I wouldn't I, give you the opportunity, which is good. Yeah. I, I like how actually Soji says that first, I wouldn't give you the opportunity. And she says, now I wouldn't take it. Right. And right. I like how later she puts it to the rest of the crew. I'm done killing people. So that's good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting question is, you know, the, 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 and it might be the question of this series is, is Soji well, a person? 
Of course, interesting, that goes back to that episode, Measure of a Man, TNG episode, yeah. Measure of a Man, where we met Bruce Maddox for the first time. Yeah. You know, and it goes back to that. We, yeah. we, we I can, like when yeah. that when she asked the question, am I a person? She Agnes starts to think in philosophical terms and like in measure of a man. Mm-hmm. And Soji cuts that off and refocuses her. No. Am I a person to you right here, right now? Right. Yeah. No philosophical wondering. I need concrete and, and immediate response. Uh, it's it's a we, I think. When we do our wrap up uh, episode next week of this, the the final episode, uh, I'm sorry, in two weeks, three weeks from couple now. weeks, three weeks yeah, from now. Yep. Yeah, uh, we should discuss whether or not um, this question of whether Soji and the others are a person from our point of view. But uh, I, I think it's I think that's the key of uh, in this. Um, so let's we, we switch back to the cube and we see that uh, the drones are being killed by the Romulans. And so seven jacks herself Boy, into the cube she queens up she becomes yes. the local yeah. board queen of the cube and this is her biggest fear um and and it's a really dramatic moment now already she's been manipulating the holographic you know interface system which since it's borg it's all like green wireframes that she's waving <laughs> her hands through right um also we have as she does this we have this nice cool green lightning in the uh, happening in in the queen cell and we pan up and there's this big structure and it has a very forbidden planet like sense of massiveness mm-hmm. and uh so she's getting ready in case she has to to queen up and then they they um it becomes clear this is the only way they're they're going to get out of here so she right. finally does it and once she's connected the romulans realize the cube's coming back online and they space vent Mm-hmm. All of the Borg who are still assimilated, and we see yep. these thousands of bodies flying into space, and and Seven just screams, and it is like, wow, that is very yeah. dramatically effective. Yeah. Well, you hear her hear her activate the collective, and we are Borg. We are Borg. We you know it echoes through yeah. the cube. Right, and that's when the the ejection happens. Uh, back on Serena. Uh, Agnes apologizes to the other and promises to turn herself in at Deep Space 12. Um, Rios, meanwhile, gets Soji her favorite snack of peppermint ice cream and, and French fries that he remembers from meeting Jana. Mm. Um, Fish fingers and custard is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Rafi gives the, the background 200,000 or 300,000 years ago. The warning was placed, the admonition that warned against creating since and... When you do that, they evolve, and that doesn't go well. When you cross a particular line of evolution of since the destruction comes, the destroyer comes, and we talked about that in a second. So it's, this was, yeah. By the way, this was kind of an effective scene, though, because they each of them had their little pieces of the puzzle. And yeah, it kind of brought them together. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so she had part, and Raffi had part, and Picard had a little bit, and, and Agnes, Agnes yeah. had a, quite a bit, and yep. they were able to kind I, of connect it all into one puzzle yeah. piece. Finally, I. I I guess we were wondering why we've all called each other here. (laughs) Right. So, and we find out that 40 years ago when Data showed up in Starfleet, the Romulan sent in half Romulan, half Vulcan mole uh, O. So that answers that question about who she is. Um, And her mandate is to stop research into since, and she created the attack on Mars. So, and here's a question then, did Romulans kill Soong? Right. That's an interesting well, question. Well, did he ever resolve during TNG what actually happened to him, other than he just disappeared? Well, I, I mean, he did, he did come back and we met him, 
and and he he summoned data, but lore came too, and he right. died on screen, if I recall correctly. Oh, okay, okay. I I couldn't remember right. what I remember. He disappeared, but I couldn't remember what happened. So okay, yeah, that yeah. that was when he gave data the emotion chip. All right, right. right. And uh, we did encounter Sung's wife in robot form uh, at the, at, mm-hmm. as well, and she was like Soji and da- and Daj, almost indistinguishable from real. So that's interesting yep. uh, there. Um, then we find out that the Ibn Majid encountered the Ambassador of Beautiful Flower and Jana nine years ago. So after the <laughs> the synth attack, but 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 nine years ago, um, it just sounds like a late nineteen sixties cartoon. Tune in next week for the adventures of Beautiful Flower and Jana. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> it's interesting that, that we have these real names like Jana and Soji, and, and then we have this ep, ep, eponym you know, of Beautiful Flower. It's kind of interesting. And I wonder if we're well, going to meet meet his, his, I'm assuming his, his, her twin, and there'll be some native, you know, like Native American appearance or something like that, where that name might be appropriate i don't know interesting yeah. maybe and this is a phenomenon i mean as as a linguist this is a phenomenon that is actually common in other languages here in english most of our names are so old that the language has drifted from their roots and we don't realize what they mean but in many languages you know what your name means yeah. um i have a friend from iraq for example his name is samer which means joyful and so right. it's like, yeah, his parents knew full well they were naming him Joyful when he right. was born. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Dom, your name, you know, means it. I'd have to think through it exactly, Lord. but it's a variant of Lord. Lord. Um, you can bow. I, I don't know if the Almenico <laughs> part, uh, but it's going to yeah. be it's something about Lord. My name, uh, Jimmy, is derived from the Hebrew Yaakov, which means heel catcher. And, oh, which is an idiom for a supplanter, and Corey means I have no clue. So yeah, that's exactly um, what my name means. <laughs> my my name means I mean, it sounded like a good name to have. Yeah, yeah. It, it I have no clue check. what Corey means. <laughs> well, my my, my last check. name um, Stika is actually from the Czech Zika, which mm-hmm. means peaceful. peaceful. Oh, okay. But of course, you know, you, you talk about that though. But uh, you know, I mentioned Native American. A lot of yeah. you know. What we now consider Native American last names, like I had a classmate, a couple of classmates who were Buck Elk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but that would have been their name. Right. Mm-hmm. Way right. back when, you know, so, you know, Sitting Bull, that was his name. Yeah, of course, in well, the native it, tongue, yeah, but that was his s- name. S- sitting Bull is a little more macho than Beautiful Flower. Yeah. <laughs> but you get the idea, though, because there's, there's right. other, you know, names like that, too. So, I mean, it's, that's, that's something that kind of does carry over into Native American names, at least their last names. Are like mm-hmm. that as well. Yep. Uh, so at this point, Soji takes over La Serena. She erects a force field, starts doing all kinds of stuff, and tells them she's heading for a Borg transwarp node so they can get to the her planet uh, of origin faster. Uh, but Rios takes it back with a failsafe that consists of the Spanish lullaby his mother used to sing to him, which was kind of fun. Um, Picard sits down in the captain's chair, tries to take command, and realizes he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, okay, <laughs> definitely not like commanding the Enterprise. <laughs> okay, okay, Boomer. Um, and Soji convinces Rios to take them where they need to go, and, and, he, and he does. Um, on the cube, the XBs uh, manage to overpower Narissa, but she's beamed off to a waiting Romulan ship uh, just in time. Uh, so yeah, and Seven is Seven is is borging those XBs. So apparently, yes. not enough of their. I mean, to me, 
I wouldn't have worried about taking off their arms and stuff first. I would get out the thing that lets them be controlled. Right. The the neuro- neuro- apparently they didn't take that out. Yes. Yeah. Um, or maybe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she gets away and uh, and seven disconnects herself from the collective because Annika has more to do. So you know, yeah. very interesting. Oh, there's, there's a great moment there where they've won and she's like, the cube is ours again. And 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 uh, Elrond nope. is like, oh, great. Are you going to assimilate me now? <laughs> and it was like, Annika has work to do. Yes. And she dealing seven. Um, Picard then and Rios then have this moment on the bridge of the of the La Serena where they're alone. He tells Rios his memory of standing night watch on his first ship, the Reliant, which is yep. not the uh, obviously not the Reliant of Rathacon, but a ship named after it. And yep. that he knew Captain Vandermeer slightly. He says Vandermeer was one of the best, of course. And Rios um, and Vandermeer was the first officer to Picard's old classmate, Marta Batanaides, who we saw in the TNG episode Tapestry, the episode where Picard uh, relives the time where he got his artificial heart. She was mm. his love interest that, at the Academy, if you remember, mm-hmm. the Dark mm. Eagle. So uh, they apparently I remain friends. I slightly. <laughs> yes. And uh, so P- Rio says he hates that Vandermeer died thinking it was really Starfleet that had betrayed him and not the Romulan secret agents. And Picard said, you know, Starfleet had betrayed themselves with the with the synth ban itself by giving way to fear. And uh, Rios wonders if Soji is the destroyer that that she says she is uh, in, in all. So there's still some uncertainty here. So mm-hmm. as as they get to the transwarp conduit ready to, to jump through, we, we hear a bit. I notice that we hear a bit of the discovery theme here. Yep. Just the, a couple the, of couple of measures of it. Yep. And then we get the uh uh Picard theme and then we get the Alexander Courage original series theme. Yep. Uh, as as the compass we, points home. The compass yeah. finally works pointing home. I thought that was so irrelevant. I mean, they told us on screen this thing doesn't work, so why do I care if it's pointing towards the warp conduit? Well, it didn't I mean, work because it wasn't where it needed to be, you know, symbolically. <laughs> this this isn't a fantasy series. This is a science fiction, not science fairy tale. Uh, I mean, it's, it is pretty science fantasy, but it is not science fairy tale. Right. Um, so I thought that was just too on the nose and, and didn't like it. Uh, but in addition to getting all of these musical callbacks as they're about to go into the corridor, we also uh, get to see that they're being followed into the corridor by a rote com- Romulan ship that presumably has Derek on it. Yes, Ner- yeah. Narek is following him to that. Okay, well, because we have to have that final confrontation between Narek and uh, Soji where she beats the heck out yeah. of him into a pulp. Or something. Yep. Or something along those lines. Yes, <laughs> he's going to pay for his betrayal. Uh, that and that's where we end the episode, uh, and we take up with the previews for next time. Uh, for it's called in Latin, um, et in Arcadia ego, which oh, is sure okay. Let, let go, of I my too ego. Have, I, I I too have been in Arcadia. Um, okay. Arcadia is a peaceful land in like Greece. Okay. Um. So and it, this was a saying. There are paintings named this, and yeah. Be interesting to see uh, how that bears out. Uh, apparently, the, the, this is an uh, idyllic world that they're heading to yep. uh, destroy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So final yeah, thoughts, uh, Father Corey. Uh, just one thing. Uh, when Narissa, right before they space the the Borg, Narissa calls the uh, Talshiar officer Centurion, which right, is something yeah. that goes all the way back to TOS. So, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy. So I liked how Ramda broke a cube with her dis- with her uh, despair from mm-hmm. her Jatvasht initiation. It's like the what Hugh did. Um, because right. when Hugh went back, he introduced unexpected anomalous sense of freedom that caused questioning and his cube disconnected from the collective, too. So apparently the Borg firewall isn't uh, an antivirus program, isn't strong enough to catch every problem. And and individuals, when they get assimilated, can have ideas that are so strong, the cube doesn't know how to deal with it, and it disconnects from the network for self-protection. Um, so th- I liked that. I also liked we got names for almost all of the holograms in this. So Enoch is navigation. Ian is engineering. Emmett is the weapons guy that mostly speaks in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hospitality, we know him. I don't think we have a name yet. If we do, I haven't caught it for the medical hologram. Right. Also, I have in my notes uh, what happened to all of the non-Borg people who were on that cube because they had all those officials, you know, and scientists and technicians who were working there. Um, Are they still on there? Did the Romulans evacuate them? Are, you know, are they flying around with the XBs now? What's who's in charge of this cube now that Seven's not queen? So I wondered about all that. Um, I wondered why Rios didn't talk about knowing synths earlier, um, because he apparently knew the reason that uh, Beautiful Flower and uh, Jana needed to be killed. I don't think he necessarily knew there were synths. I just think they knew that he, that there was a black flag directive to kill. Right. Well, I don't think he made the connection between them and synths until he saw Soji come on the ship. Yeah. That's possible, but he speculates. I mean, it's it is that is a possible interpretation that he has only just now made the connection. But there's a moment where Picard asks, "Did he know they were since?" and he and he says, "I think he must have. That's the only way you could have killed them." Right. Well, the, um, the captain did, but that doesn't mean that. No, Rios I understand. Yeah. I understand that he may only be making this connection himself now in hindsight. Yeah, but at the time, I mean, you could also read it as he's known and he's been on this mission. About sense. Right. Uh, I also don't know why he doesn't immediately, why he goes off to his quarters. I think this is part of the romantic thing, maybe, but it shouldn't be so strong emotionally after a brief encounter so many years later. You don't go off to your, you meet this dead woman and who who you now know is a synth because of the nature of your mission. You don't go off to your cabin and sulk and get drunk and not tell anybody. You immediately tell your employer what's happening, that I met a girl just like this however many years ago, and here's what happened. But you're, um, you're, you're forgetting the connection with the captain as well. Right. You know, this that, man, that, was, was, that, was, the, like that was the stronger connection than with Jana. I didn't get the impression that there, anything romantic had actually happened with Jana, but that yeah. there was he was interested in her very strongly. Right. Also, I, I and. I still, this is the responsible thing to do sure. is tell your employer uh, that you have relevant information to the nature of the mission. Um, and now you can, because it's a decidedly motley crew filled with alcoholics and dopers, you could excuse that, but that would be the rational thing to do is what I'm pointing out. 
Um, also, uh, speaking of rational things to do, get on face chat and tell Commodore Clancy uh, or tell Admiral Clancy about Commodore O. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're no longer heading to Deep Space Nine. We're going to get in this board corridor and go directly to the planet so that we won't be at that rendezvous. Right. You wonder if he I mean, it could be they don't want to tip off uh, uh, O by sending a message, I suppose you could you could, yeah. you know, headcanon that. But yeah, they, they should have contacted Clancy, said, hey, we're not going to DS-12. We're we're going right to the planet. Uh, by the way, you ought to do something about, oh, uh, she's a problem. And and, and, yeah. and whether she believes you or not, at least you've raised the suspicion and you, you, you could start doing things there. You're right. That would mm -hmm. have been made sense. Uh, Those are my thoughts. All right. Uh, great. So let's uh, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of Star Trek, including Samuel O, no relation, David R, Cyprian C, Esther R, and Ron B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of this episode called Broken Pieces? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing that next episode, Et in Arcadia Ego, part one, uh, translates as Lego My Ego. Until then, Father Cory <laughs> Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and Joel Untrue. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, fear is the great destroyer. <laughs>